UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. I think we're live right now, but I just gotta get my show intro. Skeptic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest with me today. I always like to give a shout out to where I saw the potential guest that I'm having on my show. And today I saw this man on the show, Experience or Interviews with Jan Gray, who I've had on my show before. I've had Jan on and uh, he has an amazing show. So go check out his show. Um, But who I have with me tonight is Don Anderson. Don was born in Glendale, California in 1959, but the early in life moved to rural farming community in Utah where his mother and younger brother lived for a good part of their life until his father passed away. He always believed the homes they lived in were haunted, only discovered that they were not a result of spirit hauntings, but numerous abduction and contact experiences, which only increased in frequency and intensity as he grew older. And then we're going to get into, I would read the rest of his bio, but I think that's the whole point. We were going to get into that today. He's had some amazing experiences. And uh, yeah, with, with Gray's mantises, they took his son, which isn't very fun, you know. Um, and he looks at it as both positive and negative. So I'm excited to hear about what he has to say. And of course, as always, if you want to leave a comment, you can comment in the in the in the chat. If you have any questions for him as we're going through this, you can you can leave a, a question in the chat. And uh, without further ado, uh, Don, thank you for coming on my show. How are you? Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. It's uh, always nice to be able to talk to fellow experiences or people who are just interested in the subject. So yeah. Well, what I was thinking was when I was reading your, your bio, you uh, you've had a um, you you grew up in what you thought was a haunted house, but it wasn't haunted house. It was actually multiple abductions that were going on. Can you talk about that? How it all started? Are you sure it wasn't haunted? Do you think it might have been haunted and that? Do you think it was spirit activity and UFOs, or do you think it was just the the, the, the abductions? <laughs> I think there was some haunting that was going on with it, and it just has to do with uh, all the interdimensional aspects that go along with being a contactee, because I think it kind of opens the door up for that haunting aspect as well. But, you know, well, for instance, there is one instance where we moved into this little tiny, just this little tiny Hodug town down in southern Utah. It was like maybe 50 people lived there. And um, 
we came home, my dad, my stepdad would always take us out for a ride at nights or something and leave my mom home. And she would, I call her Judy because I'm not sure where she relates to me biologically, right? But um, so we would leave her home and she'd be doing her stuff and we'd go out for a night ride and we'd come back. And then uh, one night we'd come back and she's locked up in the car out. And, you know, she just says, I'm not going back in there. She says, something's looking over my shoulder. Something is in that house with me, right? And um, <clears throat> so he would go and he would check the house out and there'd never be anything in there. And so one day she, we did the same thing. She, she decided she still wanted to stay at home and we take off, we go for a night ride and we come back and she's locked up in the car again and the lights are on, every light in the house is on and she, the, you could hear the radio blasting in the house and it was just like, she said, I'm not going back in there, something's in there. And um, so he would walk around the house, he would look at all the windows and everything was locked up and there's nobody inside and all the lights were on, the radio would be on full blast and it'd be hanging by the cord off the kitchen table like somebody went through and knocked it off the table. You know, so that was kind of a haunting experience, I think more than anything, that may have followed us around. Uh, that was definitely a haunting, but the stuff that we had when we finally got moved into a house up in a different area of Utah, was definitely it was not haunted it was uh and the house the little house we lived at right before she got married in southern utah it wasn't haunted at all and i know this because i had an experience in 1984 where <clears throat> excuse me i was taken and um when i was placed back in my bed i just popped up and i had this like the best way to describe it's like a past life memory and but it was not past life it was just showing me all these ufo experiences that happened to be over my life you know and there's like about a dozen of them all the way back to before i was born and so a lot of the stuff that i thought was haunted it was not haunted it was just them coming to take me and do some things with me like say like when I was four years old, and this is gonna sound strange, but I remember this just as clear as the day I was born. Well, you know, just as clear as something that would happen yesterday, right? Um, these little gray beings would, little gray being, these little troll-like beings would come through the wall and they would take me and I'd wake up screaming after they put me back that there was some man with a light shining a flashlight through the window and the police would come over and they would do an investigation and they would never find anything. And then I was scared of the ghost down in the basement and uh, really what was happening, there was a little portal down there that they would take me through and the gray would specifically say, hey, don't go in the basement, there are ghosts down in the basement and you get lost if you go down in the basement. What he was basically getting to was, you know, if you go in the basement, you jump in this portal by mistake, you're gonna get lost, we may not be able to find you and get you back. So don't go in the basement. And I always thought it was ghosts used to scare the hell out of me to go down there because, you know, I was thinking it was ghosts. It was haunted uh, for 20 years. I just thought that was a haunted house. And then when I had this experience, I realized it wasn't haunted. I was just being taken and abducted for, you know. Well, can you get deeper into your experiences? Like, I'd love to hear, like, like what your experiences were like with the Greys. And was it your normal abductions that you hear about in the 80s and 90s? For example, like, one thing that we know of was that they were, it, what we think we know of was that they were 
you know, working extremely on like some kind of hybrid program. Like, and it seems like they would always take men and women. And, and one of the main things that would happen was semen and eggs were taken. Semen, obviously, from men, eggs from women. Um, this was like the trademark for abductions in the 80s and 90s. Was this your experience or did you have something different? I had something different. I don't remember that happening, although I'm sure there was stuff that was going on because there's one doctor visit that I had to go to when I was like five years old that just freaked me out when he brought the needle out. So I'm, you know, up until that point, I'd go in and get shots and everything. It didn't ever bother me. But there was that one time after we had what I thought was a haunting experience where boom, the needle showed up and I just, I booked it out of the doctor's office. I ran out of the car and locked myself in the car. Uh, so I don't recall a lot of that going on. Most of my stuff was say like, they would take me on the ship and the gray being who is with me, he introduced me to my biological mother before I was born. Okay. And we were sitting up in the corner of the room and I was looking down on her and the doctors and the nurses, the doctor and the nurse was in the room and they were talking about, you know, the delivery process and all this kind of stuff. And we were up in the corner, we were talking. And not talking, talking, but communicating with mind to mind. And um, so it went all the way back there. And this gray being just kind of followed me down through. And he would take me on these ships when I was four, especially I remember this one was where he would take me on the ship and would do these little energy exercises. And so I'd be sitting across the room from him and he had to have this little plasma ball and he, the ball would lift up out of his hands and it would float over to me and he'd want me to do the same thing back. So I'd catch the ball and uh, then I would mentally lift the ball up and float it back to him across to the other side of the room. You know, and, and we'd do these little exercises like that. And so it was more like I was familiar with him. So when he came and took me when I was 24, me and my son on the ship, I was really familiar with him and it was like, I know you, I've seen you before, you've been around ever since before I was born. And it was just instant recognition of who he was. So I don't think there is anything really insidious going on that I recall if there was, it was behind the scenes and there is that part of it. No, but there was, there have been times where the military has abducted me. So, yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, your, your, your experiences were positive and negative. Like, it seems like this gray was kind of like your friend. Like, um, can you talk about that a little bit more? And like, did, did you feel like you knew this gray uh, and, and, and multiple grays throughout time? And like, also, I, to piggyback on that, what were the grays? What did they look like? Did you have, were you in contact with small grays, tall grays? Like, because I knew there there were supposedly two different kinds, and like from what I hear, the smaller ones are more robotic, and the, then there's the taller ones, which are like supposedly the real grace. I don't know if that's true. I'd love to hear your experiences. And and oh uh, no, the the grays are just as diverse as any other group out there. They are. Uh, you've got the small robotic type of ones that are basically a biological computer uh, that they're kind of mass produced. It, like they're like a clone that's mass produced type of thing. Uh, then you have ones that are very real with feelings and uh, they are kind of human-like in the fact that 
they can interact with us and they have this emotional value to them where the biological ones don't. They just kind of have a job that they do and they go about doing their job and they'll come in and abduct people and take them out. And um, so when things don't go to plan with these biological ones, they kind of freak out and they don't know what to do. Okay, but with the guy who's kind of like my guide has been with me throughout life, he is not that type of biological unit. He's somebody who can interact and he's got, can think and do logical problems and things of that nature. So this, this one is, can very much get in touch with the, the human aspect. Okay, where the other ones don't. So that's fascinating. fascinating. So where, where do you think they came from or where do you, where do you think their mission was? Like, and, and or, like, I'll ask you that first. Like, what do you think their, their intention was with us? If you had to guess, like, Oh, that could be as varied as a human beings intentions and what they want to do out there in the world. You know, I mean, you have, I would believe that, this is as much an interdimensional thing as it is a dimensional thing. So it's, for instance, um, when I had contact with the Mattoids, I asked them, I said, okay, well, where are you from? You know, I specifically want to know what part of the galaxy do you come from? Because I was thinking a physical galaxy somewhere. And he got kind of thoughtful there for a moment and he basically came back and he says, you know what, I don't know how to explain it to you because you wouldn't understand. There's no frame of reference for you to be able to understand where we come from. Okay, so my guess is either we're so far away that we don't have anything on a map to be able to locate where it's at. You know, because you need a three, <clears throat> you need like three points in the universe to be able to find out where something is at. You can't just have a a 2D representation like a map like we have on the planet, you got to have three points of reference to be able to figure out where something is out of the universe. We don't know enough about the universe to be able to understand where they would come from. And the other observation I would, over the years I've sort of come to is that this is as much interdimensional as it is dimensional. Okay, there's an area right around us that we can't see. We our eyes just don't pick up stuff as well as we need to. So there's stuff going around us that we can't see that I call the interdimensional playground where a lot of stuff goes on where the ghosts hang out and they have a interdimensional ability to be able to walk back and forth freely. <clears throat> and then there's the, an, another interdimensional aspect where, let me put it this way, okay. When I was taken on the ship when I was 24, um, they came and got me, they got my son, and we floated out through the cement wall, right? We went through the cement wall, because it was in the basement, through the cement stairs, through the ground, and we appeared on the outside of the house in this blue Yeah. What was it like floating through a cement wall? Like, how did they dematerialize you like that? Like, what was your what was your experience like when you were actually like dematerialized and floated through a wall? Because this is common for abductees, and I I've always wanted to ask somebody that question. Yeah, that's a million dollar question, you know, because scientifically, the physics behind it is so much different and so much more abstract than the human mind can relate to. 
and scientists have no way to be able to study that. They don't have any intention of studying it as far as I know. So you take quantum physics and you take it a leap ahead. I think it's probably even beyond any type of quantum physics that we have, because I've often thought about this myself. It's like, okay, we're going through this wall. Now we're in a beam. And when I get outside the house, it's like I'm in a vacuum because I really don't feel anything when I'm going through that. Okay. But I do feel something here in a second. I'll explain it. But um, so we're going like we're in a vacuum outside, right? And I can see the wind blowing the trees off in the distance, leaves on the trees off in the distance. Okay. So I, I can see that going on. But the thing that made it really weird, it was like, I said, we're entering into a vacuum. You don't hear any crickets. It's a country, right? The crickets are legendary out there at nights. I mean, in the summertime, you'll, you'll hear crickets all over the place. There are no crickets. I didn't hear any crickets. It's a country. There are no animals moving around. You don't hear anything. Um, nobody's getting up out of their house to say, hey, there's a flying saucer outside. They don't even see the flying saucer. Right? Nobody does. No animals do that I'm aware of, but it's out there and it's about 30 to 40 feet across and it's hanging 20 feet above a house that's across the street, right? And I can remember distinctly, you see the lights, the red and blue lights are flashing off the top of the house as we're going up to the ship. And as we're going up into the ship, I see some telephone wires, you know, power lines between us and the ship. And I'm thinking to myself, we're going to pass right through those power lines. You know, I said, you know, I'm thinking they can't do this to us. We, we can't, we can't go through these lines, but they didn't, he didn't, the guy that was with me didn't pay any attention. And we just went right through the lines. You could feel the electricity or the electrons or whatever it is buzzing through your body. Right. It's like you, it, it kind of tickled as you went through it. You know, so we definitely shifted somehow to where we were just outside of vision of everybody out there if you would have gone back into the house and looked in the beds we wouldn't have been there and so we're floating outside interdimensionally somehow and how they did this i don't know you know i often thought about this i said that's just such scientifically that's so far advanced of where we're at they had to have shifted us somehow into an inter interdimensional type of a setting to where we could we could actually go through this kind of stuff you know, and I don't have any explanation how I like I said, when we go on through the power lines, I felt it, it tickled. And so I knew there's a physical thing there. But it didn't affect us as we went through and we eventually ended up on the ship. So what was your what was your son's reaction like when you got taken? Like, and what's he say about it today? Is he open about his experiences and is he still being taken or are, are you guys still having contact oh yeah we're still in contact but uh, as far he has had his own experiences but he hasn't really been up to pursuing them like i do like i openly talk about everything that's gone on and everything that's happened uh so i'm not sure if he even recalls it all but i recall him sitting on a love seat next to me after this had was all done and he had a little friend with him that had been brought back with him and they were both kind of scuffling together on on the love seat that was right next to us so you can look through the window we had a big old plate window it was like a six by six foot window that looked over the mountains in front of us 
and you can look out that and the screen door and you can see the ship and you can hear it. It was doing this like, you know, and the red and blue lights were streaming around it. And the room was full of people as well. You know, I'm looking in the living room and there's a couple sitting across the room from me that I definitely know who they were to this day. I know who those couple were and they were just sitting there naked, staring at each other, but they were comatose. Right. Uh, so he he met this kid. This kid just actually just moved into town and they kind of raised that. They were like brothers. You know, they were just tight as all get out for a while until they grew up and went their separate ways, you know, but uh, they were really, really tight like brothers for a while. So he did meet her and I met somebody that I was supposed to meet. I mean, he did meet him. They did hook up together for a while. They were on the football team and everything. Uh, and I met somebody on there that I was supposed to meet who they pretty much told me, yeah, you're going to meet this lady down the line, you know, which I did. And um, it was, I kind of got sidetracked on your question again. What was your question again? Oh, we, we, were, oh, we were talking about your experience oh, from 1984 yeah. when you and your son got yeah. taken. And then yeah. I kind of went off on a tangent because I was I asked you about what it was like to float through the the material the you know yeah. being dematerialized. But I kind of wanted to go back to the event of like what it was like when you and your son were taken. Like it's fascinating to me. Um, and and was your were your parents abductees too? Like obviously you you know you remember when you were a kid. Like you thought the house was haunted. You thought there was a portal down there. Like so. I know I ask a lot of questions, but what do yeah. you think causes this? Do you think this is something that followed your family or do you think this was on the portal was on the property or what, what do you, what do you think about that? I think that it was kind of developed by them, but it was an energetic thing that was associated with that particular house we were living in. Right. So they were using it to transport me back, so to speak. I mean, you know, when they would come and get me in that particular house, there would be that blue ray that'd shine through. And then when that happens, I knew that they were coming and I would sit up in the corner and I'd pull the blankets tied up around me because I knew that I was going to be visited. Somebody was going to come and get me. And I don't know if you've ever seen the, mu the movie communion with uh, Whitley Strieber was in. Yeah. The one that he developed anyway, uh, Christopher Walken at one point in that movie who was playing Whitley Strieber was dancing with the little troll-like guy. You know, it's a little, maybe about a three-foot-tall, troll-looking, ape-looking type of an individual. And he was dancing in front of him, you know, just they're kind of communicating back and forth. That was the same kind of guy that would come and get me as a kid, you know, take me through the walls. And um, so the portal in the basement was something that they were using to bring me back. And there must have been some way that they were controlling it because he was acting like, okay, if you get lost down in that, we may not be able to find you again. Okay. So don't go down to the basement. And he scared me to death that there were ghosts down there. He says, yeah, don't go down there. The ghosts are going to get you, you know? And so I had one incident where, you know, I was, you know, your kid, you slide across the kitchen floor on the, on the tiles and, you know, I was in my socks and I was slid across the kitchen floor and the tiles are right next to the kitchen. 
there's a set of stairs going to the basement. I can remember slipping and sliding down the stairs. I'd lost my balance and was slipping and sliding down the stairs. And I was grabbing at anything I could find as I was falling because I didn't want to get caught by the ghost, right? That was my thing that was running through my head. It didn't matter that I hit my head so hard I had got a concussion and had, you know, blood just oozing out of my head all down my shirt. I didn't care about that. I was just scared to death that the ghosts were going to get me. And so I took off and I booked it back upstairs and, and Judy took me to the hospital. You know, so it was like, that's how, how afraid I was of that particular portal that was down there in the basement. And they would, they do this. And I had an incident where I was up around Skinwalker Ranch in Utah and uh, <clears throat> we were taken by the praying madness. And what they did was, they had me walk down the road and I walked down the road and there was a little ravine right there and hanging right in front of the ravine. There was a doorway that was, is an arch doorway. It had a, like a pink clamshell above the doorway. And I've seen this a couple of times that opened up a portal door of some sort. You know, you could see it's kind of a Greek Roman type of a door that was there, but it was very modern looking and it had the sheen and the shimmer over the front of it, but you can look through and I can look through and I can see that there was a ship that we were going to go jump on. You couldn't see it outside the portal, but once you jumped in the portal, there was a big ship right there that we just jumped right into. So these portals, they have a way to be able to open them up and to do what they need to do with them, which is another, you know, you're talking physics. I have no idea how they do something. I don't think any scientist really would understand how that happens or what, what, how to do that. Because how do you study something that you can't see, that you can't feel? Yeah, that you yeah, can't. One, thing, one thing that I, I always wonder about is like when they take someone um, and they can shut everybody else off that, that are in, that are in the house at the time, like. For example, like I think you told a story about when you and your friend were taken when you were a kid and you got back and you tried or you, you saw a UFO or something. I, I, I was listening to your story with when you did Yan Gray's show and I was and you I think I, I'm gonna have this story wrong. You have to tell it, but like you said that you tried waking up your friend's dad and he just wouldn't move. And I've always this oh, yeah. is this is this is common with abduction stories, like they can knock out the whole neighborhood except for the person they're taking, right? It seems like they, they have that ability to neurologically shut us down, you know? Yeah, and that, that's that's another fascinating one too. Yeah, it was um, it was like the whole neighborhood was shut down basically. I don't know if we were actually doing an interdimensional thing or not, but I did remember going into that room and I had to walk around the bed and run around the bed basically is what I did. and then, I was over to his dad's side of the room and I was shaking him and said, man, you got to get up. You got to get up. Come on, help us. You know, there's something going on here. And we want your help. You know, this, they're after us. Is, and what, is what did happen? Did you tell the audience? They might have not have heard your interview. Okay. Yeah. What went on with this one was we went for a sleep out in uh, the front yard and they, you know, this was a country, of course, there's, you know, there's hardly any houses in the area, but they moved. They had actually built a house like four four lots down from us, which is like a couple hundred feet, right? And um, so 
his brother and him and me and my little brother all slept out on the front yard that night. We were looking for shooting stars. Yeah, and um, basically we just kind of all dropped off and fell asleep. So I wake up and I hear something going on later on in early morning hours. And I look over and my friend is like piling grass onto his brother's face. You know, just got, he's got, he's picking grass up. And he's got a whole pile of grass on his face. So I said, what are you doing? He says, he won't wake up. Look, you know, and he reaches over in his ear and he screams in his ear really loud. The whole neighborhood could hear it. And it yelled his name three or four times and he didn't budge. He didn't do anything. Right. He says, it's funny. He won't wake up. You know, so I reach over to hit my brother and he won't wake up. So it's just us two that are awake for whatever reason. We're the only two that are awake right there. So he says, come on, let's go down the house and uh, get an apple down to my house and see what's going on down there. Right. So we walk down to his house and we're sitting out on the front porch eating the apple. And there's like maybe 20 feet along. There's an irrigation ditch that runs in front of it. And then there's a road across that uh, the dirt road on the other side of that. And then there's open farming fields with alfalfa and, that they're growing. And we're sitting out there eating the apple talking and saying, yeah, hey, this is weird, man. Because again, this is the same type of thing that we had where we're looking, it feels like we're walking in a, a vacuum, right? It's, there's, you can't hear the crickets. You can't, you know, there's really nothing going on. And it's just this really weird, odd feeling that we're having. And so we're sitting out there eating an apple and up in the sky, up above this alfalfa field in front of us, there is this fireworks display that starts. It's just like, it started out really slow. You would see like a ball of almost like a plasma light just shoot across the sky, an orange ball or a yellow ball would just shoot across the sky. And we look up at that and we're fascinated with like, hey, they got the fireworks going. Somebody's got fireworks going on, right? Pretty cool. And then it started to get a little bit more intense and then it got really intense. And it was like, there are balls flying, plasma balls, just like flying all over the place. They're like, the whole sky was lit up with these plasma balls falling, flowing it just like a fireworks display, right? And so we're sitting there watching that, wondering why nobody else is out watching it. And then there's this little tip of a UFO just suddenly pops out of the sky. You know, and if you get the vision of this, it's kind of like, uh, okay, if you're staring at the lake and it's just flat water, and then all of a sudden you see something start to come up out of the lake, you know, it's that same type of thing. You're looking at the water and you can see something just slowly start popping up out of the water. That's the same thing that happened, but it was in the sky above us. And it slowly start popping out. And we're looking at this round saucer tape shape starting to form in front of us and the fireworks stop and it comes out and it pops out. And before we know it, there's a big UFO hanging over our heads. You know, it just popped out from the middle of nowhere, slowly just kind of emerged like it was coming out from a cloud or something. And uh, we're just kind of like dumbfounded. And then we see this little gray out in the field and he's floating in the air and he's looking at us and he's coming to us. And he looked at me and I looked at him and we, he said, run. <laughs> so, you know, we just busted into the house 
And the very first thing I did is I run over to his dad's room, which was down the hallway, and I'm shaking his dad, and the room lights up, and it just lights up. They're like somebody's shining a light through the window, and I'm shaking him. I said, get up, get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. You know, you were, we need your help. We, you got to get up. And he's not moving. He's just like, like you were saying, he's just like paralyzed or something, right? And they both were. They were sleeping right next to each other, and they were both just like non-responded at all. So I run back into the living room, which is where he's at. I'm looking through the screen door and I can see this gray floating across the ditch right in front of the house. And I said, I, I just said, hey, where are you, man? Where are you? He says, and I, he says, I'm over here. Hide. You know, so I look over in the corner of the room and he's hiding behind the TV stand and the TV in the corner. And I jump behind a chair because there's a chair an armchair between the door and, I mean, between the door and me, you know? So I'm, I'm hiding behind the armchair, staring up over the edge of the chair, looking at this thing, wondering what it's going to do. And then the next thing we wake up and uh, I don't know what happens because I don't do, I do very, very little hypnosis at all in regards to this. But, so You know what? I was just going to ask you that question. I was going to say, do you have a lot of, uh, like co co full conscious recall of your abductions or do you have a lot of missing time or you have missing memories or how does that work with like your experiences? There's a little bit of both. Okay. There's a, at, when I was 24, like I was saying, I wake up in bed and boom, there's this whole lifetime of contact experiences that, you know, up to that point of time, say I have one thing that happened in the Canyon when I was 14 years old, you know, where I was stuck 15 miles up in the Canyon by myself in the middle of the night and there was nobody around for, like I said, 15 miles, it's just me, right? And uh, so, and I was actually, thought I was chased down a canyon by some wild animals and I locked myself up into a uh, outhouse because that's the only way, that's the only thing that was safe at the time. There's an outhouse there, it had a door on it. I know I'd be safe if I could lock myself up in there for the night and I made it there and I locked myself up. It wasn't pleasant, but, I was safe, right? I mean, what else are you going to do if you're being chased, if you think you're being chased? And um, then I wake up in the morning. For, it was cold, too. It was really cold. It, was a, it may be about 35 to 40 degrees. And so I'm sitting in this outhouse, and it's concrete. It's like sitting in a freezer. And there's no way I should have fallen asleep in that. But all of a sudden, I'm waking up, and it's 10 o'clock in the morning, and the sun's shining down. And so there was a whole missing period of time there that I never knew anything about until I turned 24. And then that memory hit me and it's like, oh my God, that's what happened. That's what was so strange is because I knew something had happened, but I didn't know what. So it was missing time up to that point. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there's things yeah. that they you do not remember. Uh, it's just that you're at point A or you're at point B and then you're here and then you're there and you don't know how you got from point A to point B, but you remember the experience of interaction that you may have had with an entity and then boom, you somehow you get from point A to point B again and then you're in bed. Yeah. So there is some period of time right there where you do not remember. And the only way to get that memory back is to go through hypnotic regression, which I have not done I've done very, very little of that. I don't, 
well, you know, there's been one time with the military where I did some hypnotic regression because I was wanting to find out about it. And one time with a praying mantis, I did a little bit to find out what happened because there was some missing time there. And it was after the experience I had when I was 24. So the only way I was able to recover that is by, you know, going to somebody who knew a little bit about hypnotic regression and getting some work done that way. So. Yeah. Did you ever have any experiences with reptilians? Yes, very much so. Uh, they have been, and that's been come of the, when you're talking about these reptilians, these were the, they're, they're again, like anybody else on this planet, you know, there are some positive guys and there's some negative guys. It's, it's, you can't all just bunch them all up into one group and say, Hey, you know, these guys are good. These guys are bad. Uh, it's the same thing with grays. It's the same thing with anything out there. It's like a, as a human being, you know, you'd be saying, hey, you know what? Uh, don't go in this area of town because they're bad. Even though they're the same color of skin, they look like you, they act like you. Uh, they may have different motives for doing things and they may be raised differently and you know, be raised in a different environment. So there are different experiences you have with these different beings, but the ones that I particularly have had experiences with these reptilians have been more like a men in black type of thing. Okay. They're, they're, they latched onto you and they got these really long memories and I've had twilight zone experiences with these guys. Literally it's been, I, I'll have these experiences and I just look at it and I say, did that really just happen? You know, type of thing. Cause they have a way to be able to influence people. Like for once, one time there was a guy who was totally drunk. He was just wasted five sheets to the wind. And he described an incident that happened all the way across town that there's no way he would have known about it. I mean, he all of a sudden just snapped out of being drunk and he looks at me out of the court of eyes and says, I saw that accident it was terrible. It was just terrible. And that's their way of saying, reptilian's way of saying, we told you not to speak about this. Don't talk about it. You know, it's more of a men in black type of thing. Uh, and I believe that they're probably behind some of the men in black stuff. So when I say I've had men in black experiences, it's with, it's basically the same type of thing. It's just with reptilians that show up. And so they're like kind of like an enforcer. They don't want people talking about their experiences. Yeah, they latch on to you based upon your uh, experiences. And, and this is the really bizarre, I mean, this is really bizarre part about it. You know, when I first had my encounter with these guys, uh, I was a nobody. I'm just a blue collar dude out there doing my thing, you know, and it's, they showed up and they told me, don't speak about this. And I'm like, why the hell are you bothering me? Don't you have other people, you know? But based upon your energy and who you are as a human being, as a spiritual person, as maybe an ET, the type of ETs encounters that you have and that kind of thing, uh, they have a tendency to just latch on you. It's like a farmer out in, and this is actual experiences of people, you know, you had a farmer who was working out in the fields. He found a crop circle and some weird little substance out there, black type tar-like stuff, right? So he picks it up and puts it in a bottle and, you know, next morning he's going to call the sheriff and say, hey, I've got this stuff. I don't know what it is. There's a crop circle in my field. You know, just some guy who's out there farming his land, 
right? And um, the next morning before he even has a chance to call anybody, men in black will show up to his place and say, hey, you know what, don't talk about this. And they'll threaten his life. And he says, he's just a farmer, dude, you know? And they latch yeah. on to these people yeah. who have no, no influence whatsoever in anything and take it as a personal confront, you know, confrontational thing that uh, they don't want you talking about it. You know, it, it doesn't make any rhyme or reason in no sense whatsoever. And it just kind of blows me away that uh, they'd even have any kind of interest whatsoever in me, but they do once in a while, they'll show up. Do you think they're the ones that are in charge or do you say the mantids are in charge? Or is anybody no. in charge? Is it, like a UFO, is it like an ET free-for-all where everybody's doing their own thing? Or how do you think this structure or hierarchy goes, if there is one? I'm not sure if there's really a hierarchy, so to speak. There are ones that are associated with the military, which is unfortunately where I've had my experiences. And uh, they're like, you know, kind of the overlords of the planet, so to speak, I would say because they've been here a lot longer than human beings have. And they have both positive and negative ones that are out there floating around uh, that have been associated with this planet interdimensionally for eons and eons of time, well before the human being, human race was here. So they're looking at this as their planet, right? Why wouldn't they? But they're underground and they're kind of interdimensional and they are, they have people report them every once in a while, but you know, so as far as a planet goes, yeah, you get those. And then I've heard there are beings that uh, are more of a celestial type of beings that live in the mountains in different areas of the world that uh, are very positive. But I kind of think they, for the most part, most of them just kind of let the human race do their thing. You know, and it's up to them on whether they're going to survive or, you know, blow themselves up or whatever it may be. You know, it's, they're kind of, they, for the reptilians themselves, they like that fear-induced energy that inhabits a planet. You know, that's why they like the wars keeping going and they want you kept in a certain state of existence so that it's more comfortable for them. Basically, they feed off that bad energy. So, yeah. yeah so, yeah. I wanted to ask you being an experiencer, what are your thoughts on the work of like David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins? Because I know I asked you about the hybrid program, and I, I don't want to harp on it because, like, I, it seems like it wasn't your experience. But, like, what I mean, since you didn't experience that, what are your thoughts on his work? Like, because that was a big part of the abduction phenomena for a little bit. Like people really thought or think that there's a hybrid program going on, that there's hybrids walking among us, but you didn't really witness this. So like, um, how, how, what are your thoughts on that whole thing? And what are your thoughts on like the work of Jacobs and Bud Hopkins and what they did for the abduction phenomena. And is that, is that a, is that a narrative that people are trying to push? Is it more fear-based and you know, you know where I'm going with that? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Then, uh, I believe to be honest with you, they're kind of pioneers in helping to discover that there is something else going out there. Um, I like John Mack more because he was actually out. I think that was the name. 
he was actually out yeah. there doing some serious studies, trying to figure out what side of the fence everything was happening on. And it, it's both sides. There's not one side or the other. There are some real bad experiences that you have out there that are going on uh, experiment-wise like they were getting at. So there is some stuff. You know, but you look at Betty and Barney Hill when they had their experiences. It, at first, they thought it was really bad. It was really a negative thing, and they were very fearful about coming out and letting that light out of what was going on, because they they viewed it as a bad experience at first. Okay, and I think there are some people who are having bad experiences and they are just like with ghosts or demons or anything else out there. You're going to have the bad guys out there doing their thing. You know, they just, and back in the day, I think that was a big thing that they were doing. Why? I'm not really sure because I think I probably had some sort of genetic thing that was going on with me, you know, before I was born. Just for instance, um, I think I've, I've shared this before that uh, the, the DNA results that I have done there, I've done two tests, right? One was a lab here in the Oregon area. The other one was just a regular online test that you do to check your genetic background and see where you came from, that kind of thing. So I did that genetic test and it came back as showing me like oh, 94% Scandinavian, which, you know, I looked at it and said, yeah, okay, yeah. My, that, that shows that my grandpa and my grandmother moved from Scandinavia to the United States. So, yeah, that Scandinavian thing, yeah, I get that. That's really big. Then on my biological mom's side, uh, it's English. It's 100% English. It goes all the way back, you know. I've done some work on it, studying it, trying to figure out where it's coming from. And, uh, you go to, you know, the Mormon website, Mormon genealogy, you can open up a, you know, you can look up anybody in the world that they have in their database and find out where they came from. It's not a secret. It's out there. And every tree that I went down, I always went back to England or Ireland, you know, so it's like they're very heavily English. And so I'm looking at this thinking, well, if they're heavily English, why am I only at 2% of their DNA? Right, which kind of yeah, yeah. my mind is it should be much much higher than that. Should, you know, to get below twenty percent. So I'm talking to a biologist down here, genot, genot, genetic specialist down here at the lab. The last time I did it, I said, "Well, what's going on here?" She said, "Well, one of two things: either she's not your mother, or you know, she's no more than a um, you know third or fourth cousin to you." And it just like. That makes a lot of sense and how I was raised, what was going on in my life. But, I, you know, it kind of boggles the mind and says, how is that possible? If that's, if that's actually the case or there's something else that's going on genetically that, you know, she says, well, yeah, you could have two eggs that, you know, one was unfertile, one was fertile, and you took over the other egg. And, you know, so there's something biologically that can happen, but the chances of that are very, very slim, she says. So it's probably, I don't know. I haven't stopped the research on it because I can't, there's no place I can go with it. So it's just kind of stuck in the air there. So I think they do the genetic modifications on people around the planet before they're even born. 
Yeah, so the genetic stuff goes on. Um, and with some people, I don't think it's really positive. And I would not doubt me at all that there are people who do have, you know, hybrid children out there floating around based upon their, you know, eggs that have been taken from them. Yeah. I, I, would, I would definitely agree. Um, one thing I wanted to go over was, did you say you're, you're a Mormon? Did you, were you raised in the Mormon church? That's why I was raised in a Mormon community. I, I, I was raised up that way. And then uh, that's one of the reasons why I moved to Utah after my father died, as uh, she wanted to start up in a community that would support her a little bit more, I guess. And so I was raised up that way. And then it got to the point where I lost. I said, you know, I don't want to do this. I went off on my way. And then I, I guess the best way to be saying is I was reborn again and came back into so-called the fold and really got heavily involved with that. Right. And so when I had this experience when I was 24, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an ecclesiastical leader and I'm going to do this stuff. And I was really 100% gung ho in the Mormon faith. And this happened and I'm like, it just totally upended my belief system 100%. It's like, you know, it's like it, the Mormon faith is interesting. It has like, um, it, it, it seems like the, the, the founder was in touch with some kind of um, being like an alien or, or, or something that he gave yeah. him the gold. You, you know what I'm talking about? That story. I can't remember the yeah, name. Someone had told me. He is supposed to have received gold plates from an angel that he deciphered them. They were written in Hebrewic language or something or native, some sort of language. And he deciphered them and came out with what he said was the Book of Mormon, which is what they based a lot of their religion on. Yeah. And so there's some sort of alien presentation or spiritual thing that went on that uh, sort of supposed to have happened. And, you know, where there are other worlds out there and all this kind of stuff. And that's what kind of got me going was I was thinking, okay, well, wow. I thought this was the center of the universe, right? This little Mormon thing was like the center of the universe. I'm finding out. No, there's a whole big universe out there of billions and billions of planets. And then I, it's like, okay, well, where does, Gee, the, their Jesus fit into all this, and does he affect other planets out there as well? Or why would they have this? And what about reincarnation? And all these different thoughts started going to my head. I'm thinking, okay, this doesn't add up. Something doesn't, you know, add up. So I got a hold of my Mormon leader, and I said, you know, after I'd been away from the church for a while, just I said, okay, this is my question: How does he fit in the universal scheme of things? I've been abducted by aliens. Can you come and tell me what's been, how all this reacts? And I get a letter from like three days later says, okay, we're officially removing you from the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints rolls. You're no longer going to be a member. You have 30 days to appeal this, yada, yada, yada. And literally three days after that, I get something from the church headquarters, the big church headquarters in Salt Lake. It says, yeah, you've been executed. We don't want anything to do with you. Goodbye. Oh, man. That's that's. <laughs> It's cold, you know. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't even give thirty days. It was just like three or four days. They said, "No, we don't want to touch this. Don't, don't, don't bother us with this." So it's like, you know, it's how this all fits into any type of religious values at all. It all evolves around this 
Christ being and that kind of thing. You know, it's like I don't it it doesn't make sense to me in my mind. It doesn't make sense after these experiences I've had. Well, what are your thoughts on the story of the Anunnaki? Oh, the Anunnaki? Uh, These are those who came from the heavens, basically, is who the Anunnaki are or were. And they're out there kind of among us still to this day, or they reintroduce themselves to us. And they're just beings who come from heaven. And so they could be anybody out there. If you're referring to a specific race, Black Inky and uh, that particular species, then yeah, I believe they had some sort of a role in, you know, setting up a particular part of a civilization on the planet today. Yeah, for maybe their selfish purposes or whatever, but they, I, I think they were real. I think there were others that were real as well that came down because if you look geographically around the planet, there were like an Asian group sitting over here, and then you have white Caucasians over here, then you have American Indians over here, and I know they say, well, they're all genetically involved somehow, then you have the African race over there. Well, they're all kind of, back in the day, they were all kind of like dispersed within their own little communities, and it may have just been a way of them reestablishing life on the planet to to uh, see how they would do and to see how they would interact with each other. Kind of experimental type of stuff, giving them a chance to inhabit another planet. Yeah. Yeah. So you think maybe we were terraformed there? Yeah. I think so. I think we probably It makes sense, right? Our bodies don't do well with gravity. Like, you know, like it seems like we're not meant to be or like that we 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 don't do well with the planet the way our physical bodies are even though we're made up of 80 percent water i remember gerald Clark, the anunnaki researcher he always said that he said our bodies don't do well with gravity and that we're we're not meant to be on this planet like that those were his words kind of in a way like would you agree with that or do you think it's kind of different well i think there's i i think that originally when we were set on this planet the planet was in a lot different state than what it is now. And um, it it was a different environment and the axis of the planet was different than what it is now. It was more parallel to the sun so that you didn't have the seasons like you have them right now on the top. So on the North Pole and the South Pole, they didn't have that tilt. So you didn't have the ice on them and the, and the days were a lot different. And so the environment of the planet was a lot different and something happened to kind of shift the planet off its axis a little bit. Maybe a nearby collision with another planet going by or something of that nature, who knows, you know, it's, uh, cause I don't think that our planet actually had a 15 degree tilt. And you look out like the Uranus, it's got like almost a 90 degree tilt, you know? So they're spinning really weird. My idea is that there's an interplanetary planet that came by in our solar system and kind of tilted these guys off their axis so that they weren't, you know, it's, on that it's in the, in the, in the, in the, like, 
Um, if you ever read the uh, Sumerian clay tablet, the, it, it, it's, it's, it's the first story about the Anunnaki. It's the seven tablets of creation, the Enuma Elish. Yeah. They talk about the collision between Tiamat and Earth in that, and, and Marduk, yeah. Marduk's fighting Tiamat. That, people say that's mythology, but it's also the way our solar system was kind of um, structured. I would recommend anybody go read that right now. Like it's Everybody has access to go read it. It's the Enuma Elish, E-N-U-M-A-E-L-I-S-H, Enuma Elish. And, like, and yeah. the, the reason why I say that is because I, I believe a lot of these Anunnaki stories and, but I, I think that people should always go do their own research and these, look up these tablets for themselves because I think people will find a lot of truth in them. I, I have, you know, because because people I yeah. get a lot of people saying like, oh, you're 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 talking about Sitchin. I'm like, no, it's not Sitchin at all. It's like go read the tablets. There are other seriologists that you know translated these tablets and they're saying a similar thing. I think Sitchin got a lot of stuff wrong. But I think that he also got – he was a pioneer and he got some stuff right. And, yeah, I think you have to go read the other – read the tablets to get, see what resonates with you, you know. And what resonates with exactly. me is that they came here and genetically modified us, I think. You know, I don't know. Exactly. I think it probably – you're probably right on right there. And uh, that's where the story of the godhood comes in as well, I'm believing, because you have Marduk and Inki and Enlil and – a little group right there. Um, it just kind of passed down because in the Egyptian thing, you have Seth and uh, all those Egyptian gods that, well, basically were based upon that same story. And then it comes down to Jesus and you got that story retold again. It's just with a different set of characters, you know? So you can follow that story all the way down the line where one of them goes to heaven and they got to, you know, or to hell or something. They've got to battle it and then they got to reform themselves and come back and, do their thing. It's the same story, whether it's Egyptian or whether it's Sumerian or whether it's, you know, latter days and these days that we're in right now, it's the Godhood is the same story all the way through the line right there. So it, so that's what got me off a little bit too. I was thinking, okay, Jesus reincarnation, all this kind of stuff. Where did that come from? And it just came back from the Egyptians and from uh, Sumerians. So yeah, that I do think, like I was saying, Sitchin didn't get everything right, but he broke open a pathway to where you can find the information. Yeah, yeah. There's some people that say that uh, Jesus had um, the same story as Dionysus, as Horus, as Krishna. Yeah. it's like yeah. the same story retold. Or there was a lot of the similar facts. Like they were born, they were all born of a virgin mother. They were all. Uh, crucified or died in some way then they were resurrected three days later and what's interesting is freddie silva the researcher he has a, a book called the lost art of resurrection where he talks about how people would induce themselves into this death state and then later they would they could resurrect themselves it was it's it's actually it's fascinating it's called the lost art of resurrection He's not saying that it wasn't true what Jesus did. He was just saying that this is another way to look at it, that people were doing this um, back in the day. You know, I don't know enough about it. I, just, I have to read it more myself. But I just think, thought that was fascinating that, that, that techniques like that used to exist, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did too. That's, I've done some work back there. I had a little bit of studies in that area. And it's it's all fascinating how it all ties in. That's kind of the thing that, got me thinking as well as reading and studying all that stuff. It's like, uh, it, 
I, I just don't understand how it could be relevant today in this world when we have access to so much information and yet people are, you know, doing their thing. Do you, do you believe, one of my last questions for you is like, since you've had these alien encounters, what are your thoughts on the simulated reality um, that, that like, that like we could be living in some kind of holographic universe or that our, our reality is somewhat simulated. Do you buy into that concept? Uh, I kind of do. I'll just be honest with you. I, I do, but I, I'm open to hear people if they don't or they do, or, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Well, in a way that we are, I'm thinking, because if you look at it, you know, if you're associated with the heaven realm, which I've, I've been there a couple times, you know, just to, with my consciousness sharing thing, just to, you know, basically in search of Akashic records, trying to figure out what was going on. Um, they have a kind of a program set up to where you come down on this planet, you have this little area of expertise that you're trying to get through, which would be considered kind of a program, right? So you're kind of programmed to get through this little area and then you've got some latitude within this area that you can work. But say like me, um, I was never set out to be a doctor. If I want to be a doctor right now, I could study and I could learn how to do it, but the human race is never going to accept me at that because by the time I got to be a doctor, I'd be 75 years old or something. And they say, oh, well, you're too old to operate in that field. Right? <laughs> yeah, so it's not going to happen. I'm I'm a smaller guy, so there's no way I'm ever go I was ever going to be an NBA basketball player. You know, it's not happening. So, me you know, too. you kind of programmed down – certain avenues of your life to live a certain way and you got a little bit of latitude within your life to be able to do that so in a way that is kind of a holographic presentation because this reality that we're living in is not the real reality it's something that we're placed in with this flesh suit that we all have and uh you know after the flesh suit is gone we go off to the destination that we're going to go to right so you're living an experience it is kind of a kind of a virtual reality type of a game, I would I would guess, because, you know, once you get in touch with the spirit self of who you really are and you're out there in the universe, you realize you're just playing these games all over the place to gain some experience and do some things. And the people who are actually associated with heaven who are going to go back to heaven after they die with the reincarnation phase, if that's what you will, um, they're just going back to reprogram themselves to come back here to do the thing again. Right. So yeah, yeah in that, sense, in that sense it is a a virtual reality type of a game, but you got a human soul that's involved with it. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, my last question for you is: uh, I wanted you to talk about your book in case any of the audience members want to get it, because like I find your stories fascinating. I think that you're the real deal. I would say you're what Art Bell used to call the real McCoy, which means you're a real experiencer. Like, and can you talk about your book, The Wanderers: A Soul's Journey, and uh, and and if you if you want to talk about your website too, like um, real quick. Or however yeah, you want to do the, the wanderers is something I put together because you know I had this conference I wanted to do, you know they wanted me to speak at it was a Seattle UFO network conference and uh, I was like halfway through the book and it's basically just steps into some of the experiences that I've had over my life and how some of the shamanic things that have occurred 
and it gives a brief back it gives a background of how my life has gone you know it's breaking it down by periods of my life and how I've lived and uh, what's happened and some of the experiences that I've had and some of the shamanic things have happened which have been just as traumatic for me as the UFO stuff to be honest with you and uh, it's just just periods of my life I put together in that so it's why, why do you say that real quick why, why do you say the shamanic stuff has uh, been as traumatic as the UFO stuff what happened Okay, when you step down this path and you do the, it, it, it's kind of like a shamanic thing because it opens up you up, gener- how should I say it? it opens you up spiritually and you kind of become a mystic. Okay, that, at least that's what I have become. And so you develop the different pathways that you go down. And the shamanic path led me down to what you would call a spiritual death to where you've got to kind of fight yourself and overcome yourself to be the real person that you're meant to be. And you usually end up encountering somebody that uh, challenges you and you either overcome it or you die with it. Okay. And I was fortunate enough to have the help that I needed to be able to get through that, which definitely changed my life a hundred percent. In fact, I physically it, even though it was in the shamanic world, I've still got physical scars from the uh, fight I had to do to deal with myself. So it, it's That's definitely something awesome. you have to do to get over your own insecurities, I guess is what it is, or, you know, and, ego. And then my last, my last question for you is, are you still having contact to this day? Like, is it, is it pretty frequent or when would you, how would you say it's going on? I'd say it's kind of mellowed out. I haven't really, I mean, every once in a while it, you get to this dream state type of thing. Well, yeah, it's okay. I'm still in contact with a couple of these beings. And uh, one of them is just, just, this real powerful dude that'll show up and uh, I can feel his presence through my solar plexus. And when he shows up, I really know he's got this power about him that just like, wow, just like literally leaves me kind of shaking after he leaves. Uh, I know that it's going to sound weird. You're going to think that's, that's kind of a negative thing, but it's not because it's just that his energy is just like, really off the charts yeah that's that's what i heard that that's what i heard with a lot of these ets i heard that like if you get around a real gray like not the not the robotic ones but if you get around a real gray their energy is so extreme that it can actually paralyze a person and 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 i I don't know why that is that's what um this whole thing is about okay so when you have a contact experience and you're actually on the ship Physically, it changes you. It has to change you because you're in a different environment and this different environment has a different energy about it. Okay, so if, say, like the reptilians or some of these bad grays get a hold of you and they take you on your ship, now you're in this negative environment and you feel it and it terrifies you because it's all around you and it surrounds you and it's just a totally different energy. So when somebody says, 
their experience was negative. Yeah, I believe it was because now you're in a different environment. If you're on an environment with a ship of even just benevolent beings, but they're kind of don't really care one way or the other about you, but you're on the ship, you still pick up their energy and the energy of the environment around you and it kind of sinks into you. It's like getting into a tub and the tub has a warm bath. You know, eventually the warmth is going to sink into you. It's the same thing with the energy when you get on the ship. Being on the ship, the energy kind of sinks in on you depending on how long you're on the ship and how many times you've been taken. And you cannot help but develop some sort of psychic abilities simply because you're there. Okay, because it just opens you up naturally. It's like if you're walking down into, you know, a war-torn area where there's been a lot of fighting, you can feel that. And after a while, you kind of get used to it because you're fighting in that environment. And so you adjust to it. It's the same thing when you go on the ship, you adjust to the energy level on the ship on a DNA level. You know, it, it, it hits you all the way through your body and it kind of washes through you. It's when I was on the praying mantis ship, um, when I came back, my body was just literally frying. It was like, man, I was so hot. It, was, it felt like it was coming from the inside out. I was so hot. It was so uncomfortable for a couple of hours that it took me like most of the night to kind of cool down. Yeah. And one of the things that he did when we were on the ship, he took me to the top of the ship and there's a great big crystal structure over the top of us. You know, it's like we're sitting in a bubble and you can see the universe out there and the stars and the sky and everything. We're just up there sitting there. And he looked at me and he says, would you like to see? I said, yeah, sure. I wasn't necessarily sure what he was talking about, but I said, yes, sure. Because I wasn't going to turn it down. And so immediately everything disappears and it's like I'm floating out in space all by myself. Right? It's just me floating in space. And uh, you could feel the energy of the universe just kind of flow through you. And the best way I could describe it is like, say like you're kind of hollow and somebody blows, or the wind blows, and you feel the wind blowing through every soul of your body, every cell of your body, right? And it just goes right through you and you can hear there's a definite tone to the universe. You can feel that tone and you can feel it just kind of sweep right through your body like somebody's blowing air through you. It's the best. It's really hard to describe. And it was just the most amazing experience I think I've ever felt. And then I was, must have been out. I don't know how long I was out there, but I closed my eyes just to kind of get the feel of it. And then all of a sudden I opened them. I'm on the ship again with him. And uh, we come back to you know, where we're camped for the night. So, yes, you, you just absorb it. You can't help it. You absorb the energy. This is, well, that, wow, this has been fascinating. Um, do, do you want to tell everybody where they can find the book and where they can find your website? And first of all, thank you so much for doing this. I'd love to have you on again. This was, this was fascinating. Thank you for sharing your stories with oh. us. And like, um, yeah, if you could tell everybody where to find you and, and thank you. Yeah, the book itself can be on Amazon.com. You just look for uh, The Wanderer, uh, and you'll be able to find it on Amazon.com. It's written by me. You can also, 
if you go to my website, uh, I just post everything up every once in a while on a blog about some of the experiences I've had and things that I've done. And, you know, it's, I don't post on it an awful lot, but every once in a while I get this big urge to just throw a whole bunch of stuff up there and uh, post some stuff. There's a lot of blogs up there that uh, you can just check out if you want to check it out. It's called Path of the Shibala. And you just pop, type that in and just path of the Shibala and it'll bring it up because Shibala, I'm the only Shibala on the website as far as I know. There's a place that does Shibala jewelry. They showed up after I put my website up. So I'm just taking you know, somebody just copied my name and used it for their jewelry for whatever. But And that's interesting too because Shibala, you know, when I was first introduced to that name, this guy walks into me. You know, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to name this website? What am I going to name it? What am I going to name it? I, I was thinking about this for like a week. And then one morning I'm waking up and this guy walks into me. He says, you should call it Shabala. And I'm like, you mean Shambala? Like the site in Tibet? He goes, no, Shabala without the M. I'm like, oh. Okay, so I hit up my friend who is in Israel and said, hey, what do you think about this? And she's saying, uh, yeah, I think you've got something. And uh, it's basically fire of the god Allah. Allah is what it translates into loosely. It translates into that, which, you know, if you break it down more, it's the spirit of the Elohim or the ancient ones. So I like that's, that. That's cool. Yeah, that's where the name came across. And there, there have been several people who actually written me and say, yeah, you know what? There's this lady who showed up in my dreams and, she had this blue stone and, you know, this is common and it, it kind of strikes me as being weird, but uh, she shows up with this blue stones and she goes, Shabala, 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 and uh, is chasing this dark energy away. I'm like, huh, well, that's interesting, you know, so it started showing up in people's lives out there somewhere. So yeah, I think it's a kind of energy that's being introduced. Yeah, it's, it's it's a different energy now. Like, like we're we're going through the earth's going through a big change, right? Yeah. It seems yeah. like yeah. It's uh well anyway, uh thank you so much uh for doing this and uh everybody thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh I appreciate it and uh yeah, tune in uh tomorrow and uh yeah, thank thank you, Don. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.